Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. This month is an active, kind of practical workshop on love through generosity. There's a sacrifice when you give. There's something that you yield out of it. Even when you give fiat money, you know, the cash that we have, at least for a while, I guess they're trying out some digital currencies across the country right now in national banks, federal banks, and we're going to see how that goes, but we may not have cash anymore. Uh, so it's interesting. You know, we're, we're changing quickly. But uh, that cash, when you hold that in your hand, uh, and I don't carry much of it around anymore, but when you hold it in your hand, it represents your blood, sweat, and tears. You know, you did an exchange. You worked, and they gave you that, like, oh, is this what I'm getting? This is it? <laughs> For all that I did, you know, sitting at that computer, greeting people at Walmart, working in a factory, whatever it was you did, nurses, doctors, all those folks, you get something back from it, and there's value in it. There's value attached to it. It's actually an interesting creation. It's been used throughout history, a coin representing your labor and your, your, your blood, sweat, and tears. And so when you do that, you're taking it, and then you're sowing it into someone's life. Christmas is such an interesting time. I love this holiday. I know people freak out about Santa and the reindeer. I mean, who cares? Actually, Santa's based on... St. Nicholas, who was a saint in the Catholic Church. So uh, it's, it's a religious holiday. Trees are originated apparently with some kind of pagan worship, but we've redeemed them. Do you know what? I've been to Rome, and in Rome there's this, uh, the Pantheon. Is that, what, is that the right one? That's what the big hole in the ceiling, isn't it? Yes, yeah, the Pantheon. The Pantheon was used for hundreds of years for pagan worship. You know what it is now? It's a Catholic church. You go in there, it's a Catholic church. It's amazing. So now where there used to be pagan gods, there's now saints, there's Jesus, there's angels all in there beautifully crafted, you know? And the sun comes into that open glass, that open uh, circle in the top, and it shines perfectly. It was aligned with the sun. And when I was in there, it was, it was shining on one of the vignettes there of Christ. I just thought, I just love this. I love that, that most of the churches in Europe were built on pagan sites. Did you know that? They did it intentionally. They did it to reclaim. They went to the gates of hell and reclaimed it. So don't, don't be afraid all the time. Oh, that's evil. That's bad. Jesus descended, according to the Bible, descended into hell and release captives. I don't think he thought, oh, I don't want to go to hell. No, he went there as a warrior. He went there to bring captives out of hell in that, in, uh, I think it's over in, uh, in Ephesians, uh, where it talks about that. So you, you see, we don't, we don't need to be afraid of these things. In fact, we need to gain a boldness and a courage and a faith to not be, oh, I don't want to get into this. It's not part of my sermon, but... People are afraid that if someone prays for you and they're not a believer and they lay hands on you that you're going to get what they've got. Really? Doesn't the scripture say that uh, if you ask for bread, he will not give you a stone. 
If you ask for fish, he will not give you a serpent. How much more will he give you his Holy Spirit? And so there's a sense where you were always concerned about people around me and maybe touching me, praying for me. I don't want to get the cooties. It's not a term anymore, is it? Spiritual cooties, you know? I know a lot of you believe that. I don't. I really don't. I believe that Christ in me is strong enough to resist the devil. <laughs> and so, oh man, there's so much. This is so deep. There's, there's so much superstition in the American church right now. I should say the Western church that has got to be rooted out. Most of the church throughout history, let's talk about the church as was expressed in the Jewish population, the Hebrews throughout the Old Testament, they were in absolute pagan environments. And if they weren't, they were back home in Jerusalem until the pagans came and kidnapped them and took them back to their, that's what the Old Testament is all about, them coming and trying to reestablish and then they get invaded and they get pulled out, the Babylonians, the Persians, it just kept going on and on and on. And uh, I was listening to Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu speak the other day and he just said, you know, this is our land People have tried to take it from us. They've tried to take us from it. But in the 20th century, we gathered back together and it is gathering strong in Jerusalem and in Israel. They have recreated. I've been there. And the thing that fascinated me when I flew into Israel, because it's the desert, it's really an arid uh, land. There were circles, all, green circles, huge green circles all over where they were reclaiming land that had been taken from them. They were making that a fruitful land like was originally promised, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. That's been about, uh, well, it's been about almost probably almost 40 years since I've been there, 84, whatever that was, 1984. But I hear, I may be going back next year, and I'm hearing from my friends that are over there right now, they said it is boomed, man. I mean, it is like a tropical paradise, and there's, there's these spas on the Sea of Galilee. Do you think that the disciples ever imagined that? <laughs> spas on the Sea of Galilee, spas on the Dead Sea, spas in Jerusalem. I want to go. Oh, not for that. I just want to go to be where Jesus was. But hey, if he was at a spa and didn't know it, let's go there too. So anyway, uh, don't be afraid of all that stuff. Don't be afraid of Santa. Don't be afraid of Christmas. Don't be afraid like... We're so afraid of doing the wrong thing that we can't focus on just walking in the, in the peace and the joy and the love of God. Walk as somebody who is untouchable by the powers of darkness. You'll be amazed how much stronger you will be in the midst of that. Anyway, open your Bibles. Sorry about that. Open your Bibles to, uh, to John 15. And I want to look just a minute here. I was at a school play. I have grandkids. About two weeks ago, it was a cute play, and uh, it focused on the cross, actually, which is so appropriate. We forget that the entrance of Jesus into this world has that bittersweet feel. It's sweet because it's a babe in a manger, but you know the destiny of this babe because you've read the Old Testament, and you know that's going to live a grueling life, this child, and even though it may be great for 30 years or so, and then three years of great ministry, that it's going to end with, with that child becoming a sacrificial lamb. So you can't adore the manger without having that in your mind. So anyway, they were doing this play 
And instead of shepherds, they had these cowboys and these cowboys, these are all kids, you know. And they were talking about Jesus coming and everything. And, and one of them said, I wrote it down. I thought it was so profound. He said, why did he come down? He had a pretty good gig up there. And I thought, that's true. And it's biblical. It's biblical, that amazing gig of heaven. He stepped down out of that, which is part of the sacrificial love. When we talk about love gives, which is up here right now, we talk about the life of sacrifice that was demonstrated through Christ multiple times in his life. Key time was, was of course, he, he laid aside, which I'll read out of Philippians in a minute, but he set aside, this is under a topic of, of much discussion among theologians over at least my lifetime and, and what I've heard for a couple thousand years now, that whether, how could God limit him, his own divinity? Boy, he's God, he can probably do anything. He limits his own divinity, he empties himself, having the powers, but they're on non-use. And so he did that, he came down as a, as a man and dwelt among us. That was a sacrifice. And by the way, get this, he came down not as a full-grown man, how vulnerable is that? I mean, if you're God, do you want to trust earth and mankind with your growth from a baby that they're not going to destroy you? Because they tried to. They're not going to destroy you early on that you'll live to full portion. Do you realize it takes faith to do that? God has faith to, to empty himself out and become like a man. And he became as a microscopic seed. Uh, the Greek word is sperma. We get our word sperm. He came as a seed, put into a woman's womb by the Holy Spirit, overshadowing Mary. Boom, seed was in her womb. Again, did he unite with her egg? <laughs> was there, did he come as an egg and a seed? We don't know that. We just know that the human, like, did he look like Mary as a child? Who did he look like? He, had the, he was 100% human, yet 100% God. Wow. He had all the temptations that we would have, yet he did not yield to them. So when I, when I hear these mysteries, and by the way, Christianity is a mystery. It's not like one plus one equals two. People try to do Christianity like that. Well, this and that. And well, that, yeah, but you believe the Bible, so you're using the Bible to support that. What if I don't believe the Bible? See, it takes faith. Faith, there's a measure. This is not a cognitive religion. There's cognitive aspects to it. It's not even an emotive religion, although there's emotion attached to it. It is, it is a religion that is based on faith. The just shall live by faith. It's in scripture and Martin Luther echoed it out 500 years ago. Not by some kind of a thing that you do, it's by believing. I believe that Jesus Christ was sent from heaven. He is the son of God. That he was born in a manger. That he grew up in a place called Galilee as a carpenter, a carpenter's son. And he arose as a rabbi in his 30th year. And for about three years, he preached the gospel. He healed the sick. He raised the dead until he was falsely accused, wrongly accused, canceled, uh, ghosted, 
uh, treated evil by, he, he totally, that when we talk about the sufferings of Christ, it's about suffering for something that you may not have done yourself and, and you're being falsely accused. That is the sufferings of Christ. He died on a cross, was buried, the DBR, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That resurrection of Jesus Christ, he became the Paschal Lamb. He was the greatest sacrifice. He became the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. It was rent in two, which was his flesh, according to scripture. His flesh was ripped in two. He was the symbolic but real curtain between us and the very ultimate place in God that nobody could go but a high priest one time a year. And when that was ripped in two, when he said, it is finished, Open sesame. The gates of heaven opened up to every person who simply believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is mystical. That is powerful. In one way, it makes no sense whatsoever. That's where faith comes in. You say, I don't understand it. I don't even know if I can explain it. I do not have the gray matter to explain properly who Jesus was historically. As soon as I remember it, I kind of forget it. I got to repeat it. That's why I repeat things over and over again. The older you get, you repeat things over and over again. I'd like to think it's intentional. We repeat it over and over because we're trying to remember. Forget theological conundrums. I'm trying to find my car keys. Oh, they're in my pocket. Cindy said, what do I do with my glasses? I said, they're on your head. Just the other day. I mean, we're at that place. And so there's faith where you repeat things over and over again. You're reassuring your heart. This is the path. And I'll tell you right now in our culture across America, there's an active antichrist battle going on right now. Huge. Huge. I mean, these, these uh, I think I could get into it. John chapter 15 says this. Verse 12 and 13, I want to I speak a few minutes out of John because John is so mystical and mysterious when it comes to the birth of Christ. We've got Matthew. Matthew kind of lays out, you know, the manger and the whole scene and everything that we enjoy. And it's good that he does that. So does Luke. He does it in great detail because he's a doctor and he lines it all up, you know, so that you can see this is what, when it happened, this is what, there were magi and there were shepherds. And by the way, everything in the Bible, if you believe by faith that the scripture's inspired word of God, which I do, when you do that, everything in the Bible has significance. It's not there by accident. So sometimes I plow into words, word studies in the Bible that just for the fun of it, just to see what did it, what did it, Really, how did, why did they come to this, in, this interpretation of it, this translation of it right now? And you start looking in the Greek and especially the Hebrew words are so picturesque. You see how it was used in other places and it's so powerful. You know, every word has something that you can wring out over and over again. It's like a sponge and it just blesses you and it restores you. And the word of God can heal your very soul and your body just by studying the word of God. So you got Matthew and you've got uh, Luke. Mark blows right over the manger. He doesn't even talk about it. Mark was like a, uh, I, I think he had some kind of attention problems or something. Did you know that the most common word used in Mark is immediately? Everything was immediately. It's the fastest gospel of the four. 
It's got less chapters and it's just like cranking along. Like it's a summary of the other ones. So if you want to read the gospel really fast, you go to Mark. You know, manger is very important, but we're not going to start there. You know, Matthew and Mark, Matthew and Luke go in all kinds of detail. Then you get to John. John has a totally different perspective. You all know Joel, don't you? Joel Reichlin. Joel is a, is his perspectives of God. He's up in uh, Middleburg right now. Joel's perspectives are uniquely mystical. He sees things that other people don't see. He hears things that other people don't hear. Just, just in the context of reading scripture or whatever it might be, he interprets that. I love having him around. He reminds me of John in the Bible. John was probably that guy. He was the youngest disciple. And John, you know, lived the longest and did not die a martyr's death. He was a beloved friend of Jesus, leaned upon the Lord's chest. He was a young man. He just, he so loved, I mean, I guess he was like a father figure or whatever. Jesus chose him. Some believe he may have been 15, 15 years old as a disciple. He was young, but he lived to be the longest into his 90s and uh, was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And the Catholics believe he actually, in his later years, built Mary, the mother of Jesus, a beautiful stone home in what is president, present uh, Turkey. And so amazing life that he lived, you know. But the mystery, the mystery. Have you read Revelation? I mean, he basically summed up the entire Roman Empire in this mystical code that people are still debating about today. So I like to hear his perspective. There's no manger in John. There's no magi in John. There's no shepherds in John. Jesus, John just gets into this mystical interpretation of Jesus coming down to earth. But he says this in John 15, and then I'll get to that. Verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love, by the way, this is a commandment that you love one another. It's not like, hey, if you want to live long, you, you need to love one another. It's not just good news. It's not, it's not, a, uh, it's not an Amway speech, you know, of, uh, I'm laughing right now about Amway because I, I drove by last night from the airport and, and the parking lot was packed. Like there's 500 people here, Amway people. But when I first saw it, I, didn't, I forgot about that. And I thought, wow, revival broke out. Since I left, these Amway people show up on time, stay the entire amount, and their parking lot was packed. It was like a big party going on here. I thought it was revival. It was only Amway. It was an Amway revival. Bon, you did a great job on that. And Sherry, it, uh, it, was, it was joyous to see that it reminded me of what revival looks like. And so, you know, I'm reading this and I'm saying, this is a commandment. It's, we love one another. Greater love has no one than this than they lay down one's life for his friends. So it's laid out in John chapter 15, sacrificial love. Sacrifice, sacrificial love. I just, I've been listening a lot to Jordan Peterson. I, I do a treadmill every day and he's, He's a big part of what I watch. Most famous psychologist in the world right now. He's from Canada. He's got great reason. I don't know where he is in Christ. He's definitely on a journey. But boy, uh, what revelation he's getting as a, as a hungry seeker of truth. And he said, responsibility demands sacrifice. 
you know, this whole thing of adulting. And I mean, there comes a point where you realize if I'm going to take responsibility, I have to learn to sacrifice. I get a job, I won't see my friends as much. I get a job, I'm, I'm going to have new relationships, new situation, new environment. My time is going to be more limited. As you turn 18, 19, and 20, and you start getting out of school, you, you realize, oh man, I've got to pay bills, and I can't believe these things are so expensive. If you never paid your phone bill, you know. I mean, you remember those days. Even 45 years ago, you know, when I was younger, I, I just thought, wow, things are so expensive. And 39 cents for gas. Jeez. I filled my whole tank. It was like three bucks. I don't have three bucks on me. You know, now it's 300 bucks. No, it's not that bad. But anyway, so he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's talking about a sacrificial love. So let's be honest about this just for a minute. So Jay and I were talking the other day. Jay, who led worship up here. Jay, who's the senior associate pastor. Jay, who's over this campus. That guy. We were talking. We like to talk about some, some things that are above our pay grade. We were talking about heaven the other day. I'm wondering why we don't talk about heaven more. Heaven is not in right now in the church. It's just not in. But it should be because heaven is our hope. So if you're going to have hope, you've got to talk about heaven. Someday. <laughs> I've got a mansion just over the hillside. And that bright land, you know, you talk about it, you sing about it. Again, we don't do it as much right now, but we will. As time gets desperate on the outside, you start, you start desiring heaven. And so we're talking about heaven, what a mystery it is, you know. And, and Ashley's been watching some program about people that went to heaven and came back, and she was telling me about it. So brought it to my mind, what, the, what mystery it is? Like, you know, what is, what is heaven like? And some people think that, it, that actually it's the... the uh, heaven is shaped like the tabernacle and the temple, and there's the same uh, layout of it, you know, with the gates and the walls and everything else. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how much is symbolism and how much is the, the realistic look of heaven. I do know this, that it is going to be a mind-blowing experience in heaven. And the mystery I have from experiences I've had that, that I believe that nature will speak in heaven I believe that music will be, have colors in heaven. Some of those that have been there and came back talk about things like that. And it's like, whoa, man, it's, it is like the next step in AI. I mean, this is like amazing technology that heaven has. Imagine that. Where, where there'll be um, at ease to move about. I mean, we, we, Jay and I went in the depths of it like, are there other worlds in this universe? And, and are others going to be called on in heaven to do theophanies in other lands? I mean, what? This is crazy stuff, you know? You got to think God's got something beyond just playing ping pong for a thousand years. We'll get to heaven. There's something. It's gonna be, I know, I know we're going to just lay there and worship him. But the, it's in the very nature of God to grow, to move, to expand for fruitfulness. We could speculate a lot of things about what's going on over the next million years, and we'll be there together if you've given your life fully to Jesus Christ, you're following his commandments to love one another in sacrificial love, we will dwell there together because you can't not love your brother, uh, not love your brother, hate your brother, and love God. It says in 1 John, it just doesn't work. You're not, you're not a Christian. So you have to deal with these things as they come up. So we're talking about heaven. We're trying to understand God's fascination with gardens. You know, these are things I think about, like what is the garden thing? There's something about the Garden of Eden. 
planted the Garden of Eden. He starts the Bible with the garden. He ends the Bible with the garden. And right smack dab in the middle is a garden in Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17. Like he wept in the garden. It was a favorite place he liked to go, Gethsemane, before he was crucified. Garden, garden, garden. Even Mary, when she saw him in his resurrected self, said, are you the gardener? She thought he was the gardener. I mean, Jesus loves gardens. He loves growth. He loves fruitfulness. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't love gardens. Gardens like him, the garden is an expression of who Jesus is. He just didn't come up with an idea. It was his dwelling place in the garden. He would come and visit Adam and Eve in the cool of day. So I think about that. I think about how worship impacts a realm. You know, I would, I'd love to see in the spirit realm what happens when, as people begin to yield themselves fully in worship to God. I mean, it's a powerful thing. And we could we can imagine that. I think today, right now, there was this, this swirl going on. You could feel it. You feel that at times. There's this sense like, oh man, corporately, we've grabbed onto something. We've grabbed onto the tail of something and it's moving us. We can feel the movement of the Spirit of God. That is not just emotionalism. It's happened with small groups of people that have no emotive buy-in, might even be depressed at the time. When the Holy Spirit shows up, there's something dynamically that happens corporately. That's why I encourage people to go come to a place that we call church in the Western culture, the ecclesia, because there's something corporately that develops and shapes you just in the presence of God, just singing to the Lord. They've already proven that singing on a weekly basis is good therapy for your soul. Psychologists have proved that. Releases endorphins, makes you feel better just to come and sing. Who else outside of us sings every week? Maybe in a bar somewhere you go to, I don't know, but there's, but they're singing songs that aren't great. But here we're worshiping God and together God's doing, what, what happens? What is this journey on earth really about? I think about that. What is this really about? What is it? Why? I don't get it, you know. What, what are the greater things that Jesus talked about? Are you ever wonder about that? We assume it's miracles, you know but you're gonna do greater things when the Holy Spirit comes, the power of the Holy Spirit. And why aren't we doing greater things? What are the greater things? And so think about that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still seeking to know the depths of Christ. But here's what we do know. This week, we celebrate, one week from today, a babe in a manger, a gift from heaven. All of it. I mean, the shepherds, the magi, everything, the angels, and the supposed singing of the vast number of angels, although scripture doesn't specifically say that, it's probably what happened. They were singing praise to God. Everything speaks in that story. The, the babe, of course, which is the central figure there, you know, and here's, here's my thing that I ask questions about when I hear this story. Why did God choose such a slow method of expressing his sacrificial love? Why 33 years? Why in heaven did they come up with this plan? Let's send him down as a seed in a woman's womb. I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> like, what, what, what if something happens? I mean, that's too vulnerable. God in seed form coming down to earth. Well, that's, that's the thing about it that's so amazing. What if he goes down and dwells among men as a man? What would that be like? I don't know. The devil won't like that. He'll be attacking him on all sides. I know, but it won't matter. He's the son of God in flesh. 
He's the walking word. He will learn the word growing up like no other, no other human ever learned it. He will confound the experts and the theologians when he's 12 years old, when his mom and dad accidentally lost him. Imagine losing God. What would we do with God? <laughs> questions, questions. How can a baby do this? Why are we taking so much time? Send him down as a 30-year-old. Let him go for three to five years and just blow the thing up. That's what I would have done. <laughs> it's probably what Mark in the Bible would have done too because it's short. It's quick. Get in there, get to the point. You know, why such hiddenness? Why do we only know like three or four verses about the first 30 years? You ever wondered that? I mean, he's not on any social media, no Twitter, no Facebook, nothing. He's like non-existent. Northern town, like the hillbillies of, of, the, uh, of ancient time. They were, the Galileans. They talked different. They acted different. They weren't as educated. They picked that to be the the place that he grows up? Why? Why the hiddenness? And how do you fulfill heaven's eternal plan through a baby? How much love, how can love have such an impact if it will take too long to do that? It has to be a powerful love that does not fail and will quench the lies of hell itself. It has to be a love that penetrates hell itself, a love that bears up and provides a way out to another reality called heaven. That's what it has to be. And how do you do that with a baby? Like what, what if he gets tempted and he yields to temptation? He won't. He's the holy one. He's been separated for this purpose. So we have good news today. We know that we were sinners while we were sinners, Christ came. You know, Romans 5.8, it says this. I love this verse. I quote it a lot. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love. Think about it. This is the way God loves. Apply this in your life. God demonstrates his own love in that while we were still sinners. This is Romans 5.8. Just take a moment, get a glimpse of your worst sinning moment. Don't think about it too long. That, that, that thing that kind of pricks your heart, like, oh, man, why did I do that? Something you said or something you did physically or an act you had or whatever it was. Get that in front of you. The Lord looked at you in that moment and said, I'll die for that person. While you were, literally in the Greek, sinning, while you were sinning, the Lord demonstrated his love. Christ died for us. That's what it says, Romans 5.8 but demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love that is attached to our lives. Well, that convicts me. I read that and I think, shoot, I need to act that way. If Christ is in me, it's no longer I that live. I've crucified myself, but Christ lives through me, in me. It is Christ who empowers me. It's his love. The potential for the love he had is in us. So you have to train your very soul and your body to respond the way Jesus would. Your spirit has been born again because of Jesus Christ. Your spirit has been empowered by the Holy Spirit to learn Christ, to follow Christ, to walk in Jesus' ways. So when I read the scripture, it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What's that mean for me? Uh-oh. 
It means when I'm around sinners, my love is extra strong to the point of laying down my life for them. Now, laying down our lives, now we use it as a euphemism. You know, you, you give them some money or you, you let them go first in line or you, you wave at them when they've cut you off in the freeway with the proper wave. And, uh, you know, you're, you're that person, like, yeah, you, you, but laying down your life, it's just, I don't know, not physically, I mean, I went not lay it down, you know, martyrdom or something like that, but there's, see how we're short of that, we're short of that, I'm not willing to do that for very many people. My children, grandchildren, stuff like that, some friends, sure, I'll lay down my life, someone I don't know, I don't know. I'd like to think I would, but I don't know until that moment comes. So there's a love that is so powerful that it goes to people that I don't like. I'm ticked off at. I've unfriended them. I've canceled them in some way. That's where our culture's all wrong right now. We cancel people. That is not the godly way to do it. You go, well, of course, they're not godly people. I get that. I know that. But I'm talking about if a culture is to be affected by the by the very spirit of Christ, there is a love that surpasses, there is a love that loves your enemies and is willing to demonstrate that love to them. That's why at times I have, I've, you know, I know what else to do. I've taken enemies out to eat. I've taken enemies, uh, I've given enemies gifts. I've done it begrudgingly. I knew it was the right thing to do, but it was like, Lord, I'm doing this, but you know, this kind of hurts. You mean like thorns on your head, stripes on your back? Oh yeah, yeah well, okay, wrong word. It feels inconvenient. Right now, that's how we define sacrificial as inconvenient. Yeah, Jesus made himself inconvenient. He demonstrated it. You know, let's see, John, John, you know, I'm not gonna have time for John 1. I wanna, I wanna go... Of course, John 1, 1 is, in the beginning was the Word, Word was God, Word was with God in the beginning. He was a life, he was the light. I mean, this is, this is John's parent, man, his manger scene, is this. In him was life, the life was light of men, the light shines in darkness, darkness did not comprehend it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's his summary of it. He speaks of a God, though, who brought himself, who exited heaven in order to come down. Philippians, summarize it really quick. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. Now, look at the first part of verse 5. This is so powerful. Let this mind be in you. This is written by Paul, the apostle. So he's saying, this is the mindset you got to have concerning the manger, concerning Jesus, concerning who he is. If you're going to follow Jesus, this is the mind of Christ. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. Start using his mind rather than yours. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Mine's really strong though. And it overpowers that. And then the Holy Spirit has to come and tell me, no, 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 that's not it. I don't like to be rebuked, but I get, I get a pretty constant adjustment. Let's just call it that, an adjustment from the Holy Spirit saying that is not the Jesus mind. Oh, I want the Jesus mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse five, are you getting this? Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. 
but made himself. This is the kenosis. You've heard of kenosis. Kenosis is the, it's a theological term for the emptying out. So there was kenosis. This is what the Greek word is that's used right here, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied out his reputation. We try through social media to gain a reputation. More likes, the better. I can communicate whatever it is that I'm trying to sell or do or just you know, create an image or whatever it might be. Oh, Jesus did the opposite. He emptied himself of no reputation, taking the form, that word there's where we get our word morphed. He morphed into a bondservant. So the creator of the universe morphed into a bondservant. Why can't we become a servant periodically? That's why I asked all of our staff, and they, they didn't push back on it. I'm glad we, our staff served at the Christmas banquet because, I mean, we have so many people that serve in so many different ways. I just said, let's, let's be servants of this. Let's, you know, let's pick up the, the plates. Let's serve them. Let's fill their coffee up, whatever, whatever is needed, because that muscle has to be activated periodically in our lives to get us into the place of becoming a bond servant. It's called morphing. You morph yourself into a Jesus-like servant. Think of something in your life right now. I'll throw it. I've got a solution for you. You don't even have to pay me for it. In that situation with that difficult person, become a servant. I love my friend, Jim Serais, who has six, I don't know, six or 700 salespeople working for him. And I've heard him say it once. I've heard him say it a hundred times. Don't sell, serve. Don't sell, serve. It's a phrase that's been around for a while, but he takes it on. Don't sell, serve. You serve the person. If they need the product and they want it, you make it sound good, they're gonna buy it if there's a need there. But don't sell them on something they don't need. That's not serving them. You serve them and you will do well. And he's done very well because that's what he does. Jesus came as a bond servant, take, took on the form, coming in the likeness of men. Hey guys, being found in the appearance as a man. Whoa, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What's it say at the beginning? Verse five, let this mind be in you. This manger scene reminds me of God emptying himself, coming down as the babe in the manger, risking 33 years to go through a death. Let me, let me sum up with this. He sacrificed in three key ways. Number one, exiting heaven and the kenosis of emptying himself out. Number two, dying physical death, the most torturous death by the Romans at that time was the cross. And number three, some would call it, E.W. Kennedy and some other guys in the past would call spiritual death, that the father turned his face away from Christ and it was unbearable for Jesus. My God, my God. Psalm 22, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, this, this separation, it's, it's called the, and, and some would argue this, and I don't think it's something that's worth arguing, but there was something of the, the sense and the feel of eternal separation from his father that every sinner not committing their lives fully to Jesus Christ will experience someday and understand the devastation of it. So there's three sacrificial, the stepping out of heaven, physical death, spiritual separation from God, even for a moment. My God, my God, why is that forsaken me? Let's stand together if we could. Here's the deal. 
during this Christmas season, have this mind in you. I wish I had more time. Sorry, I ran out. But uh, what does it look like? Changing your personal culture. That's what it looks like. You can change. I can change. I'm changing all the time. Man, I am morphing. You want to morph? Get married. You want morph 2.0? Have some kids. Move next to a nasty neighbor. Buy a house. Get a job. Probably not in that order. Do those things. Each one of those starts shrinking your world down and feeling the pressure. In that moment, Christ can become an overwhelming encouragement to you. In Christ, you will know more than you would ever know in the natural because you understand the path that he has is almost always totally opposite what the world would tell you to do. It's the Christ way. Become a servant. Change your culture. Look for needs to be filled. Step gladly into different environments. Oh, I don't eat that food. I don't go to that place. Get rid of all that stuff, really. Be Jesus. Amen. Go and love people where they are. Yes. Korean food's not my favorite, but shoot. I went there three times and I loved it. They even take food off your plate over there. I guess that's allowed. It reminds me of when I was young. They'll just reach over. You're going to eat that? No. They'll take it right off like, oh, okay. These are the rules. I'm going to look around the table, see what I like. It's a different environment. I didn't come out of there like, I hate Korean. I don't like, no. I came out like, that's really fun, man. It's different. I learned some stuff from it. Become a light in the life, anointed with gladness. That's what Jesus, he was anointed with gladness. Go to your parties, glad. Don't demand alcohol for some reason to make you, get you in the mood. Get a Holy Spirit. That's right. He'll get you in the mood. Do not be a slave to emotion. Rather, crucify it. Emotion's not bad, but get over it. Get over ourselves. We need, we need all. We're called to be him, not us. You say, I don't do that. Well, maybe he does. Be present. This is love. Dwell among them. He ate with them. He hiked with them a lot. He emptied himself. He morphed. He became human. It looks like doing external with internal cooperation. Jesus adopted and adapted the human race. Adapt. Adopt. Do some things you haven't done before. Become generous with your life. Give, give, give. Not, I don't think you need to give a lot of gifts, but you know what? You give you. If you give one gift with a note attached to it and a prophetic word of encouragement from you, I'm telling you, it'll mean more to that person than 10 gifts. So I want to bless you during this season. Lord, anyone here that does not know you, I ask Lord God, your Holy Spirit, just to come into this room right now in Jesus' name and touch them. Just give us two more minutes here. We're, we're almost done. Don't forget, by the way, Friday night, bring friends, bring that crazy neighbor, bring him. Friday night, we'll take care of it. Bring your enemies. God will touch them. The presence of God's gonna be strong in that service Friday night, candlelight service. Sunday morning, you can sleep in, enjoy Christmas day. We all worship the Lord together on that day.
But right now, in the presence of God, as we move toward 2023, I am deeply burdened for authentic Christianity to begin to emerge in this company. Let's not worry about the rest of the city. Bethel, Cleveland, disciplined, Christ-like servants of the Most High God, humbling themselves. It's not all about me. Someone came up to me last week and said, they had been away and they came back and said, uh, you know what? So the Lord spoke to me while I was away and said, I was taking some of his glory and I need to give it back. I thought, what a powerful word. It made me went home. I went home and I thought about it. I said, Lord, I, don't let me take any glory that's yours, Lord. I give it all to you. My, my very breath is yours, Lord God. My life is yours. I know that many times over. You spared my life, Lord. I thank you, Lord, every morning that I see the sun rising up, even in Cleveland. <laughs> this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I pray, Lord, for kenosis in this church, emptying out of self and a taking on of humanity through the mind of Jesus Christ. What a change we could make in 2023. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.